0: Hey, Seasoned Athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 34 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today, I'll be talking to ultra runner and cancer advocate, Aileen Nitsky. Before we get to that, though, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. This week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete is a runner who has cranked out quite a bit of miles in his time. Let's meet the man known as Latino Heat, Robert Manon.
1: Hello, my name is Robert Mannon. I am a 48 year old runner. Some mates say I'm an extreme runner. Uh, I run typically about 52, 53 marathon ultras a year these last couple years. Um, a marathon is 26.2 miles and an ultra is anything above that. The longest distance I've completed is 105 miles in 24 hours. Um, so basically I just, I like to run. I go out there, I do my thing. Um, I like meeting people. I love traveling, uh, going to different states. And it is awesome because with all the running I do, it seems like no matter where I go now, I know someone. Uh, a lot of people follow me on social media, like Instagram. Um, some people might know me as Latino heat uh, which is a name that uh I was given a long time ago when I when I dropped weight and started running. Um originally I weighed about 50 or 60 pounds heavier than what I am right now. And uh I have gotten pretty fast, I guess, compared to the normal person, uh the average, I should say. And uh next thing you know, I was called Latino Heat. Uh I typically try to run many races, as many as I can. Um, I throw in a lot of half marathons as well. The half marathon is actually my favorite distance. I have about 215 half marathons. And right now I currently have 173 marathon ultras. April 16th, I ran the Boston Marathon, uh, which I qualified by running a 318 last year, Uh, three hours and 18 minutes that is. And uh so anyway, I ran the Boston Marathon on April 16th and I followed up followed that up by running a 50k uh on the 21st in San Francisco and later on that night I ran a marathon. So a 50k is 31 miles, uh marathon is 26.2, so there's a good amount of miles right there. But anyway, uh why do I run? I run to stay fit. As I said, I've lost 50 60 pounds. Um I was divorced, I am divorced, and uh, I am a single full-time father, and I definitely need to be around to see these guys grow. Right now, currently, I only have one high school kid left, so basically, three of my kids are adults, finally, and it has definitely made life easier, which is probably why these last couple years, I've been running a lot more, uh, cranking the miles, because now that they're more mature, it's easy for me to make trips and go out and, you know, just do my thing. Now, what would I tell someone who wanted to be a seasoned athlete one day? My advice is to start off slow, but the hardest step in anything, any type of exercise is that first step is going out there, lacing up the shoes, just go out there and do it um, and keep it up. Don't, don't try to run, you know, 10 miles on your first day. Just make it nice and small. In fact, you can even start off with a walk, but little by little, you will progress and you will see results. And next thing you know, you're going to be a nut, maybe like me <laughs> anyway, good luck, you know? And, um, on another note, if you ever see me out there, I have a lot of people who say they're inspired by me. Uh, if you want to follow me, you know, follow me. Uh, my name is Robert Mannin. Uh, many people uh, yell my name out many times or yell Latino Heat that follow me on Instagram. They say I always look the same. Um, I'm wearing an Run shirt, my orange mud hydration pack, a visor, and I'm just cranking out the miles. So I hope to see you out there. I'm Robert Mannin, and I'm a seasoned athlete.
0: If you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete, an ultra runner, author, cancer advocate, and self-proclaimed rabble rouser. This is Aileen Nitsky.
2: Hi, Aileen. Hi, Robin. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yes, I am. Great to hear. You are Aileen Nitzky of Fort Collins, Colorado. You're an oncology nurse turned health coach, and you specialize in helping cancer survivors and their families. You're a writer, blogger, and author, and you recently published your first book, Navigating the Sea, A Nurse Charts the Course for Cancer Survivorship Care. On the seasoned athlete side, you're an ultra runner and one of your great accomplishments came when you turned 50 and ran 112 plus miles in 24 hours with an overall win at the Corn Belt 24 hour run in Iowa. You recently took some time off from running to concentrate on your business and your riding. And now you're getting ready to return to racing with the goal of running the across the years 48 hour race in December. Is there anything vital personally, professionally or from your athletic life that you would like to
3: take a quick moment to fill in? I think it's really important to have fun. <laughs> I think it all needs to be fun. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you are, as long as you're enjoying it. I think that's, that's the key. God, that sounds awful. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it doesn't,
2: especially coming from someone who runs 112 plus miles in 24 hours, because I think a lot of people listening might think, where's the fun in that? But clearly you, you do enjoy it. You do have fun with it. Cause why would anyone do that if they didn't? Right?
3: Yeah. So I, yeah, definitely got to have fun and, Yeah, no matter what it is, just make sure you're having fun because otherwise, why are you doing it? Yep, life is short, so uh,
2: you got to make the most of it. From here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I'm 54 years old. Fantastic. So let's start from the beginning. What did your early athletic life look like? Did you play sports? Were you running? Were you active
3: growing up? Um, I was active. I did not play sports. Um, I would say that as a child, my favorite activity was pogo sticking, and I was really good at it because that. I, yeah, I, I used to, I used to just, just wail on those pogo sticks. I mean, I would, yeah, go up and down the stairs outside our house and, you know, bounce a thousand times and count to a thousand, you know, wow. while I was bouncing. And, um, yeah, so I didn't really, I wasn't really athletic. I did go out for track for track in junior high, And all they had back then were just the really short sprinter distances. And I was terrible. I was like the worst, you know, runner ever until I um, was in PE and they made us run a mile. And all of a sudden, it was like the first thing I was ever good at in PE. <laughs> so, <laughs> I understand that pain. I, and I didn't find <laughs> running that early. I came into
2: running much later, but I remember being in PE and not feeling like I was good at anything. So I totally understand that experience that you were having. And it's awesome that you, that you discovered something that you could
3: do. Right. Right. But it took, a, it took a lot longer before I actually became a runner. So I didn't, um, that didn't happen until I was in college.
2: So you got those early hints in, in PE and those early glimmers that almost foreshadowed something that would come later.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, when I was in, when I was in high school, I was actually in the backpacking club. I loved hiking and I loved going backpacking. And so, you know, as far as athletics, that's, I think that's where my endurance started because I would go off on the weekends or even on school vacations and, do these backpacking trips. And I'd be carrying this, you know, 40 pound pack on my back and, you know, going off and, you know, hiking eight or 10 miles a day and, you know, out in the desert or in the mountains. And, um, you know, that, that was really my, I guess my athletic, um, my, my athletic life there, but I didn't think of it as being an athlete.
2: Yeah. So here you were, you know, back in high school, discovering that you liked running, and already knowing that you liked being out in natures, being out on trails. And it's like your future as an ultra runner was presenting itself to you. You just had no that's, idea.
3: That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So tell me, um, how you, or how and when you became serious about running.
3: So I started running my senior year in college and I was at, at Northern Arizona university in Flagstaff. And, um, I was actually, um, my, dating a, a guy who, he's actually an ultra runner, and he's a very good ultra runner, um, but he wasn't then, he wasn't an ultra runner then, he decided that he was going to train for a marathon. And I was actually getting into bodybuilding. I I had discovered lifting weights, and I was checking that out. And um, he, he would get me to go out and do these runs with him. And so we would run after class, like maybe six miles a day. And then one day he he decided he wanted to go down to Phoenix and run a 10 K. And he was like, you know, come on down. Let's, let's go do this 10 K. And I just, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, whatever. Um, so we ran this, we ran this 10 K and I remember lining up at the start and, um, right after the gun went off, my shoe came untied. And so I just, I just bent over and, you know, started tying my shoe and all these people are tripping over me and yelling at me and, you know, like you idiot, why are you, you know, what are you doing? Right in, the, right in the beginning. I mean I had no idea what I was doing. Anyway, ended up running the race. I placed third and I got a trophy. <laughs> after, <laughs> after sitting there and tying your shoe at the start of the race, you still Yes. Third. So wow. I end up with this trophy and 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 uh my my boyfriend, Kirk his name is Kirk Apt. Um he uh he was looking at me like, What? I'm supposed to be the runner. <laughs> Yeah, not cool lady. <laughs> Here you are. No. So I at that point I was like I was like I, I realize what um I realized I'm pretty good at this, so I might as well keep doing it. So I kept doing it and I did ten I did ten Ks and then half marathons and then marathons and um you know, I kept improving and so that sort of got me started.
2: So how long were you running like so you got into road races primarily, right? Yeah. And then, how long did you do that before you ventured into ultra running, or how did it sort of evolve into ultra running?
3: Um, well, I was I was getting faster at road racing and just trying to, you know, trying to trying to improve because I was I, I was very competitive, and I got this crazy idea that I wanted to qualify for the women's Olympic trials marathon. Now, never mind, I'd never. I'd never gone under three hours in the marathon. Um, and I had to I think at that time I had to run a 250. And you know, I, I was in my early twenties and I just had I really had no idea what I was doing. Um and so I would train to get faster and then I kept getting injured. Mm-hmm. And this and I would go through these cycles of being able to run and, you know, doing well and then getting injured. Finally I was just – one day I was like, I'm spending more time being injured and not being able to run than I am running, so this isn't making any sense. And it just so happened that I ran into a guy locally who who had done the Leadville Trail 100, and he was telling me about it, and and I thought, wow, that sounds pretty interesting. And I also – I knew about the race. And then at the, the same time, um, my friend Kirk, again – um, at this time, at this point, we had we we were still friends, and um, but we'd kind of gone our separate ways. Um, and uh, he was planning to run Leadville, so I went and checked it out, and I ex- actually ended up pacing a, another friend of ours at Leadville. And that was it. I mean, just being out there at that race, I was like, okay, next year, I'm on the starting line. <laughs>
2: So it's like finally
3: you had that moment
2: where the, the like the running in high school, the backpacking, the trails, it's like, oh, this is yeah. what I'm meant to be.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. So some people look at ultra runners and think they're crazy because it's a lot of miles. It's a lot of time out on a trail. It's a lot of time suffering for, for certain people. What is it about ultra running that you love?
3: I love just being able to get into my own space and not worry about anything else. It's like all I have to do is focus on moving forward for that time. I can look at the scenery. I can think of things in my head. I can talk to other runners. Um, whatever it is that I feel like doing. But it's, just this, it's like your own time where you don't have to deal with anybody or anything else. So it's like an escape.
2: And especially if you have a lot of stress in your life, you have a lot of responsibility in your life, like there's no way that you can get stuck in any of that madness when you're out on a trail for 24 hours. Like all right. you really can focus on is what's happening around you, putting one foot in front of the other and, and getting it done and hopefully enjoying the process while you're at it. But it really is an opportunity to have your time. Like nobody can access you. <laughs> it's your That's time. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's really cool. So let's talk about, well, first of all, would you say that you have since then been primarily an ultra runner, ultra racer? Have you gone back to road running at any point?
3: Um, when I was when, younger, when I was younger, I did do some road racing in between with ultras, but, um, mostly I would say that I've been mostly an ultra runner ever since then. Cool. Cool. So let's talk about
2: the entirety of your race career, specifically as it relates to ultra running. Can you take us back to your worst, hardest or most difficult race experience
3: or or worst day um, racing? Um, You know, I'd have to say that it was it was before I actually started running ultras, but it was it was almost an ultra. Um, When I was in my 20s, I ran my first my first long trail race I ever ran was up in, it was in Southern Colorado. It was called the Creed Mountain Run. I think I was about 22 years old. And I think it was like, it was like 23 miles and you had to run over this pass at like 12,000 feet. And it was just, you know, it was a very challenging race. And I had trained for it all summer and I went down with a few friends and we were all ready to go. And I went out too fast, just like it was a road race. And I mean, I was just by the time I got to maybe 10 miles and we were starting to climb up the pass, I was just trashed. And of course I just kept going and all my, my thoughts of originally I'd been thinking, you know, I would do really well and it just all crumbled. And here I was, you know, just dragging myself to the finish line. And what I learned from that was don't go out so fast. (laughs) <laughs> right. Don't, don't yeah. go out with guns blazing. Cause it's a yeah. long race. Right. right. You, and when you, you know, you're at high altitude, you can't run a six minute mile, you know, right. to start, to yeah. start or anytime, but you're going to, you're going, you have to add time because of just
2: the elevation and the air up there. Yeah. Right. So on the other side, uh, tell me about your favorite race,
3: your best day. I would have to say my best and most fun run was when I did, um, the Badwater double And, um, so I ran, I ran the Badwater race and, um, how many miles is that? That's 135 miles. And so you would be doing twice, twice that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So 270, it was, so I, so a lot of times when people do the Badwater, um, they, a lot of people do Mount Whitney, um, afterwards, but I didn't do Mount Whitney. I just, you did the road portion. So I didn't do, like, the whole, like, up to the top of the, the summit. And it was for, for a bunch of reasons. Like, my crew didn't have the time. I, was, I had a, an injury that was keeping me off of trails. And um, and it was just, I don't know, there was just a lot of hassles around getting permits and all that stuff. So we just did the, the road, um, the road double. And um, I had so much fun. I mean, I, that was absolutely the best experience ever. Why, why was (laughs) it? Why? (laughs) It was, it was just, I love the desert. I love being out um, under the stars and just being able to just keep on going and like having no, not even thinking about, you know, am I close to finishing? Am I, I just, I just go. And I had some of my favorite people around me. I mean, I had a great crew that year. Um, and it was, I, I mean, I, it was just everything, everything about running that I love. Cause I love the desert. I love the, the, heat. I love the road. I love the scenery. Um, I love running at night. Um, you know, it was just, it was just perfect. I, I couldn't imagine doing it again because I don't think that I could ever have as good of an experience again.
2: Right. Like there was something there was something magical about every aspect of that race and everything kind of coming together to create this this magical experience. And you're you're worried it would be tough to recreate that. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I get that. That's that's really cool. I like that. So what types of unique challenges or conversely, perhaps even benefits do you find that you encounter as an older athlete, as an over 40, over 50 athlete training and competing for such what some
3: would call grueling races. I think having the experience and, um, you know, you get smarter as as you get older, because you've, you know, you've experienced all the dumb mistakes. You've done all the dumb mistakes and sometimes you repeat them many times. And, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, you, I think you're more patient and more accepting of yourself. Um, so you become more confident. Um, I just, I kind of go into races when, when I'm competing now, or I mean, not now, but up till when I stopped competing and hopefully I will get there again. Um, I would just go in, I love my training. I love racing, but when I went into a race, I was very focused within myself and I would just say, okay, I've got a job to do and I'm going to do this. And I had my, you know, I knew what I wanted to accomplish um, you know, whether it was a certain number of miles or a certain time or a certain place, I just was single-mindedly, you know, focused on that. And and it was like a job. And I was just, I'm just going to go and do it until I'm done, until I've accomplished it. And almost always it worked. You know, unless some weird thing happened, I had just something odd happen during the race or whatever, um, it worked really well.
2: Yeah. So there's almost something comforting about the structure of training, about the discipline of training and, and knowing exactly what you need to do and when you need to do it to get to your goal.
3: Yeah. And, you know, and not working so hard as I used to, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the intensity and the, um, you know, the miles, I just don't put in the, the kind of miles that, you know, some people do. I never have.
2: You take more of a, like a smarter, not harder approach. Yeah. Very strategic. So, I'm sure when you talk to people about what you do, specifically in regards to the running, you may get a response that's something along the lines of, oh my gosh, I could never do that. What advice would you give to someone who tells you something like that?
3: <laughs> you know, people don't realize what they can do because, you know, they don't try. It just, they, they get, they intimidate themselves. You know, they're, they've got these like, I don't know, they, they put these limitations on themselves. But I tell people just go out and start walking you know, it it doesn't matter. There's, you don't have to compete against anybody. You don't have to perform. You don't have to hit certain goals or markers or, you know, or, you know, performance levels, just get out and do it and, you know, enjoy it, do what you enjoy. And a lot of the runners that I've, that I know around here, I mean, I I know a lot of people who used to not be ultra runners and now they are, and they just kind of, they would just, start and work into it. And, you know, eventually, you know, they're an ultra runner, Yeah, but yeah. But one of the things I always tell people is don't get over feeling like you have to run every step because you're moving forward and it doesn't matter. You know, if, as long as you're upright and moving forward, you are making progress Yeah, and you're, and, and if you actually, if you run less in some of these things, you're going to end up, getting way ahead of the people who try to run every step because they wear, wear themselves out.
2: Yeah, they hit walls. And it's true. Like, anyone can run a marathon. And I, for the longest time, I still haven't run a marathon, but I always thought I was like, I don't know, that sounds awful. I don't know if I'm going to do that. But it's, to your point, it's like you don't have to run the whole thing. You run for a little bit, you walk for a little bit and you just keep going back and forth. And eventually you will cross that finish line and it'll feel awesome. Um, And also to your point that you know, the bug bites you, I think in different times, the bug bites different people at different times. So you don't have to go out and be like, well, I'm running a marathon or "Well, I'm running an ultra, you just go out and you walk, you maybe try running a little bit, you maybe then try a 5k and maybe that's the that's where it bites you. And you're like, I like these short races, or maybe you get the itch to run a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And for some people there's it'll stop before an ultra. And for people like you, it kept going and it still keeps going. And the longer, the better for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. So, so
2: yeah, it's, it's, I think just allowing yourself to experiment can be rewarding and p- different p- people find the rewards at different places.
3: Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely.
2: So aside from being an accomplished athlete, you are an advocate and self described rabble rouser for people, (laughs) (laughs) it's your words, for people who rely on or work in the healthcare industry. Can you talk about your work and why this cause is important to you?
3: So I'm an oncology nurse. I went into nursing at age 41. Uh, I started out in critical care. So it's uh, ICU. um, and And then I moved into oncology. And after about seven years of working in the healthcare system in a hospital setting, I realized that um, my skills and my knowledge and my passion and um, just what I felt like I could bring to the patients um, wasn't going to happen if I stayed in inside of the organization. I was very frustrated because you're so limited, and I mean, it's just it's kind of like being inside of four walls and you're walled off from the rest of the world and i would be listening to patients and hearing what they needed and you just can't you just can't give them what you need what they need when you're in, within the constraints of a hospital and as far as what they needed was help, getting help getting their everyday quality of life needs met around both getting cancer treatment and then afterward, and how to get their life back in order and uh, my My background before nursing was in education and wellness, and I just felt like at that point when i after I'd been in the hospital for seven years, I was like, "You know I've got all this the background to be able to do this, and I was miserable in the hospital system. <laughs> But I loved my work and I loved working with the patients. Um, so I just I thought you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna get out. I can't <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So I did. So I left. And so ever since then I've been working out in my community. I um, I teach a few classes in town um, for cancer survivors. I've developed some programs in the community um, to help people with those kinds of wellness needs after cancer treatment. And um, recently wrote a book about those programs and then just about why the way the healthcare system works right now, how that's detrimental to helping people get their needs met um, during and after cancer treatment.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about that book. Uh, it's called Navigating the Sea, A Nurse Charts the Course for Cancer Survivorship Care. Uh, it looks at the flaws that currently exist in how cancer is treated from diagnosis to recovery to remission. And I think it serves as a guide as people who are facing cancer treatment along with the family and friends who are there to support them because it is a truly, you know, life-changing traumatic situation, particularly within the hospital system. And I think you make an excellent point. It's, you know, that quality of life that people lose when they're going through treatment after treatment, both physically, financially, um, and just getting, so helping them get their life back. So can you tell me what inspired the book and what you hope can be achieved through it?
3: Yeah. Um, so what inspired the book was that I wanted to get my programs out into the world. I wanted people to know what I was, what I was trying to do that was different. I wanted to get it out there. And, um, as a, as a, small business as a, a solo entrepreneur, um, without a lot of financial, you know, I didn't have the financial backing to, you know, do these, you know, huge marketing campaigns. And, um, but I wanted to, I wanted to be able to reach people and I just felt like a book would be a, a good way to reach people. Cause it's not an expensive thing that they have to pay a lot of money for, um, it could be distributed widely and that I could put my own voice and my own passion into it. Speaking of the book itself, I think people listening might
2: be curious as to how one publishes a book, um, regardless of the subject matter. What, what was your greatest learning experience in just putting out a book?
3: Um, it's kind of like writing. It's kind of like running an ultra, <laughs> It's, Go you know, on. you just have to, you have to just keep, you, you just keep moving forward. And sometimes you need to get away from it. Sometimes you need to take a break. Um But you know that you have this goal at the end and you're working toward that. So you just keep, keep moving forward. And um that's how it was for me anyway. Well, congratulations on putting out that book. And who should read this book? That's really, I want to talk about that because since this is, uh, a podcast geared toward athletes. Um there is a section in this book um for athletes with cancer or for people who want to support an athlete with cancer because all of us know someone. Mm-hmm. I know who, someone right now actually. Yeah. 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 And the other thing is um that A lot of times, healthy people and athletes, they think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I eat right. I exercise. I, you know, I take care of myself. You know, that's just, it doesn't, doesn't apply to me. I don't want to think about it. And the, the reality is that cancer is a disease of aging. Um, We're all made of cells. Our cells have DNA. DNA mutates. When DNA mutates and the right set of conditions are set up, um, cells can become cancerous. Um, So it can happen and nearly 40% of us are going to develop cancer at some point in our lives. And that's just statistically, that's just, that's a fact. And that's a scary statistic. That's a huge number. Yeah. But the other thing is though, a lot, there's a lot of um, misinformation and a lot of fear around cancer that really needs to be addressed. And, You know, people still associate cancer with death. They think it's the most scary, awful thing that could ever happen to you. And, you know, I mean, yes, people still do die of cancer. And, um, you know, hopefully we will make headway on that. But for the most part, um, you know, most cancers now, if they're caught early enough, can be put into remission or permanent remission, which is basically the same thing as as cure. Um, or can be controlled. And the thing is that if you're not prepared for something, you have a greater chance of having a more traumatic experience with it. So with my book, I want people to understand that this is something that could happen to them. Even if they think, you know, I take care of myself, I'm an athlete. I, you know, this won't happen to me. Um, You know, yes, it could happen to you, but if you're prepared, and if you are, if you know a little bit and if you have a few things in place in your life, the whole experience of it will be less traumatic. You can get diagnosed earlier. You have less chance of losing ground as far as being able to participate in your sport and being active and keeping your body intact and, um, and just all the things that people fear about cancer. So I think it's very important for people to be informed and to to be prepared ahead of time because it's going to happen to a lot of us, whether you like it or not, um, and you're better off if if you're prepared and have a few things in place. It doesn't take a lot of thought.
2: And yet so many of us are unprepared, for sure. Right. So so this book, I think people might say, look at the title and be like, well, this is for people with cancer or people who know people with cancer or people with cancer in the family. And what you're telling me is this book is for everybody. This book is for all of us. And we it should is. be learning this stuff in advance yes. now. Yes, um, that's and, right. And if we are not touched by cancer, that's great. But in the event that we are, you know, anyone who reads this book will be ahead of the game and more prepared. Exactly.
3: Yes. I mean, it's like bringing extra supplies to a race, you know, it's like bringing those extra clothes, you know, you know, preparing for any weather or having extra, you know, whatever it is, electrolyte tablets or whatever it is that you, you know, it's, it's, you know, keeping the evil spirits away by being prepared. You know what I mean? It's better Um, to have too much
2: than not have enough. If you run out of nutrition in the middle of a 24 hour race, that could be devastating. But if you end up with
3: extra when you get back, well, that's good. You can keep it for another time. Right. And you know, the the other thing too, that I've, that I've learned along the way of doing my work out in the community is I'll I'll go to health fairs sometimes, or I'll be um, like, even recently with my book signings, um, I have the, you know, I, I set up all my stuff, like I'll set up this cancer literacy booth, like where people can quiz themselves on how much they know about cancer. Um, and it's really funny because the, the different reactions of people, it's like people who have already either have someone in their family with cancer, or they have, um, experienced it themselves. Um, they'll come over and start talking and, you know, we'll just have this conversation. And then there are certain people who will just like, you'll see them look at you out of the corner of their eye and just like not make eye contact and just keep going. But they definitely saw the cancer thing and it's like, they're, they're avoiding it. And I always, I always think, well, what, do I look like the grim reaper here? You know, <laughs> am I sitting here in this, in this hood or something? Right. Um, But it, people are so afraid of this and I mean, there are, there are worse things that can happen to you besides cancer. So it really, it really does help to have a little knowledge and be a little bit more prepared. And, you know, people are just like, nah, it's not my problem. But then all of a sudden it hits them and it's in the headlights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea what to do first. And this is, you know, I wrote the book for them so that they can be prepared.
2: Yeah. And that, that number you gave, 40 percent, like if people really listen to that, that's a staggering number. That's yeah. almost half of the population will experience cancer in some form in the course of their lifetime. And we've all known people. We've had friends. We've had family members. Like it happens and it, and, and it doesn't discriminate. And it's a disease mm-hmm. of aging, as you said. So yeah. it's just so important to learn this stuff. And there are not a lot of outlets to learn this stuff. I think that that stigma is real. And so you're doing a good thing by putting the information out there in a really easily accessible form. And so I recommend that people pick up the book. And where can they do that? They can go to Amazon. It's on Amazon and it's both in paperback and Kindle. Awesome. So I'll be putting that in the show notes on the website for this episode. I'll put a link uh, so people can go pick up that book because I definitely recommend reading it. It's, it's an easy read. And, and I think it's, it's something that it, it touches on things that we can all relate to um, from, you know, cancer itself to the medical industry and what's wrong with, with the medical industry and probably lots of things that we've all experienced mm-hmm. in <laughs> in our own experiences with, with hospitals and the medical industry. So um, thank you for doing that. So before we go. And this is going to be a loaded question because you've touched on some some big topics. Uh, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey or your journey writing this book or maybe a little bit of both as as you found parallels over time? Do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners today?
3: I think it's important to keep moving just mentally and physically. Just keep moving forward and just find the enjoyment in everything you do. Um, that's, you know, if, if you're not enjoying something, then why are you wasting your time? I mean, whether it's your job, whether it's your, you know, if if it's your, even if it's your sport, some aspect of your sport, you know, if you're not really enjoying it, then move on to something else. Um, you know, don't get, don't get wrapped up in feeling like you have to stay with something that isn't, isn't serving your overall happiness.
2: And I think that's a good point because in these things, there could be work, it could be hard, but there are ways to find joy in that. And so if you like being out on a trail for 112 plus miles, (laughs) um, spending 24 hours and, and embracing the suck as some people say, but if you find the love in that, then, then do that. But if you don't, then why are you doing that? Yeah. And, uh, and you're getting, you're hopefully getting ready to run a 48 hour race in December, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take a lot. That's <laughs> I bet. Well, we have some time. You have a little bit of time. Um, so I'm excited to see how that goes for you. And hopefully we, we can revisit that at some point. Um, if someone wants to learn more about you, read your blog, or contact you, how can they do
3: that? Okay, so my running blog is Journey to Badwater. And the URL is alingonebad.com.
2: Which you said to me, it is not a porn site.
3: No, it's not a porn (laughs) site. Yeah. Aileen gone bad. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, my Twitter and Instagram handles are also Aileen gone bad. So I'm, I'm on, uh, Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, um, just as, as myself. And then I have, uh, Cancer Harbors and, and, um, Fierce and my, my, uh, author page too on, on Facebook, And then my, my website is my, my professional website is dot com.
2: And real quick, what
3: is cancer harbors? I know that's in the book. Um, do you have a, a quick description of that? Cancer harbors is a program that I developed for cancer survivors and it addresses the most common issues that come up around cancer treatment or after cancer treatment. And it, it just provides some resources and some guidance in, um, In working through those issues.
2: Awesome. So cancerharbors.com, if people want to find out more about that. Yep. Perfect. And there's the dogs. Yeah. (laughs) That's Velcro. Velcro. Hi, Velcro. So yeah, Aileen warned me about the possible dog noises, and it wouldn't have been a complete experience if we didn't have some. So with that, Aileen, thank you so much for being on the season athlete podcast. You're doing amazing and important work all while running crazy amounts of miles up and on the trails. So thank you for sharing your story with us and for being an inspiration and serving
3: others. Thank you so much. Thanks Robin. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, seasoned athletes before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Aileen Nitsky. Number one, ultra runners are not typically born. They're made and oftentimes it starts with the mere act of just getting out and walking. So even if you don't see how you could ever be an ultra runner, the best way to find out is just to go out, start walking, and go from there. You never know how far you can end up going. Number two, knowledge and preparedness is power, whether you're training, racing, or dealing with cancer. Aileen shared a staggering statistic that 40% of the population will face cancer in some way. The more you learn and know about cancer ahead of time, the better your chances are of surviving and thriving or helping someone else do just that. A great tool to arm yourself with knowledge is Aileen's book, Navigating the Sea, A Nurse Charts the Course for Cancer Survivorship Care, available now on Amazon. And number three, find the enjoyment in everything you do. Don't get wrapped up in staying with something that isn't serving your overall happiness. And if you can't find happiness in what you're currently doing, do something else. It's just that simple. Thanks again to Aileen Nitsky thank you for listening to the seasoned athlete podcast the music you heard on this episode
2: is from bensound.com all right friends i have a really big favor to ask i need your help to get the word out about seasoned athlete how can you do that it's really easy just share Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes
0: featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises
2: from the mountaintops. The more you talk about seasoned athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast
0: on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if
2: it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.